Welcome to the show today, guys. We've been sold this lie in the American culture for a long time that 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 there is this utopian future ideal society of pluralism and 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 we'll have a plurality of different religions ideologies worldviews perspectives and, and we'll learn how to live along and get along it's a lie and if you don't understand it if we don't grasp this in 2023 we will lose our society we will lose our civilization and you will one day find yourself in a Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton re-education gulag. That will entail forcing you into cooperating with the culture of death. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. What is the cost of getting this wrong? Well, if man is merely the product of evolution— and his body the stuff of space dust, or electrified sludge that just happened to arrange itself into what we call consciousness, it's amazing, right? The Big Bang, wow. Then not only is human dignity and the sanctity of human life a myth, but it also means that the highest good that is attainable is pleasure, right? That means if feeding the poor brings you pleasure, but murdering the poor brings me pleasure— then just let me live my truth, man. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, one of the most prophetic voices of the 20th century who wrote the book Gulag Archipelago and survived the Russian gulags, defined humanism as follows. He says, humanism is the proclaimed and practiced autonomy of man from any higher force above him. Man becomes God. Julian Huxley, Julian Huxley is the brother of Aldous Huxley who wrote Brave New World. Julian Huxley was at one point leading the United Nations Ethical Societal Cultural Organization, um, who was like behind some of the early like kooky sex ed before Planned Parenthood's medical director, Mary Calderon, founded CECUS, which is behind all the sex ed in the schools today. Julian Huxley defined humanism as follows. He says, I use the word humanist to mean someone who believes that man is just as much a natural phenomenon as an animal or plant, <laughs> that his body, mind, and soul were not supernaturally created but are products of evolution, and that he is not under the control of, or guidance of any supernatural being but has to rely on himself and his own powers. So what does that mean? Man alone makes the final decision on all matters, <laughs> including life and death, Right. We are accountable and not under the control of any supernatural being. We must rely on ourselves. We are God. <laughs> Guess who Julian Huxley was? Not only was he the director of the United Nations Ethical Cultural Organization, but his grandfather was Thomas Huxley, one of the first adherents of Darwin's theory of evolution. And Grandpapa Thomas Huxley did so much to advance evolution to mainstream Darwinism that he was nicknamed Darwin's Bulldog. He was nicknamed Darwin's Bulldog for how much he did. His grandsons, Julian Huxley, behind the United Nations, sexualization of children, all this kooky weird stuff, and his other grandson, Aldous Huxley, the eugenicist and humanist who wrote Brave New World. So where did we go from Darwin's theological claim that there is no God and man is an animal? 
you came from monkeys. You're just evolved from animals. There's no dignity of life. There's no sanctity of life. There's no image of God. You're just an accidental materialistic blob of human flesh. Right? Where did we go from Darwin's claim that man is an animal? <laughs> well, Darwin's cousin, Darwin's cousin, Francis Galton, read Darwin's book, Origin of Species, and it changed his life. And he coined and invented the term eugenics. The term eugenics, right? Some people have good genes and bad genes. So the good genes, the elite, the powerful, they, they need to be allowed to reproduce. But the, the bad genes, the, the, the unfit, right, the undesirables should not be allowed to reproduce. We should forcibly sterilize them, put them into sterilization concentration camps, which, by the way, is something Margaret Sanger supported and defended. That's eugenics, right? If you're thinking of Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, Mao Zedong, good job. That's all eugenics, right? Darwin's cousin coins the term eugenics and becomes the modern father of the eugenics movement. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, I guess, right? Man is a monkey and an animal. So if it's an animal kingdom, <laughs> then it's survival of the fittest. The fit will survive. The strong will survive, even if the strong have to kill the weak in order to survive. After all, it is an animal kingdom. Is that not what happens in the animal kingdom? <laughs> Darwinism led to eugenics not just ideologically really quickly, but relationally within the same family <laughs> really quickly. Wow. He, okay, here is the consequence of Darwinism. Enfleshed through eugenics. Here is Francis Galton, Charles Darwin's cousin, the modern father of the eugenics movement. Here was Francis Galton said. You ready for this? I have no patience with the hypothesis occasionally expressed and often implied, especially in tales written to teach children to be good, that babies are born pretty much alike and that the sole agencies in creating differences between boy and boy and man and man are steady application and moral effort. It is in the most unqualified manner that I object to pretensions of natural equality. Okay, <laughs> let me say that last line. He says, it is in the most unqualified manner that I object to pretensions of natural equality. He's saying we're not equal. We are not endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. That <laughs> We are not equal. He says, I oppose what's being taught to kids that we're pretty much alike and that the only difference is the degree to which we apply moral effort to improve ourselves. <laughs> He's saying, no, some people are more powerful and elite. We are not equal. Some people are better. Right, because that's true in the animal kingdom. Some animals are stronger and more powerful and elite. But we shouldn't live like that because we have a rational nature. We come from God. We're image bearers. We're not animals. Francis Galton also said, quote, listen to this. The number among the Negroes of those whom we should call half-witted men is very large. Mistakes the Negroes made in their matters were so childish, stupid, and simpleton-like as frequently to make me ashamed of my own species. Yeah, the cousin of Charles Darwin said black people are so dumb, simple-minded, and half-witted that sometimes it made him embarrassed to be part of the species Homo sapiens. Yeah, eugenics naturally flows out of Darwinism if we come from monkeys and it's a survival of the fittest world. Okay, what am I trying to tell you here? Where did we go from the premise, man is an animal and Darwin's origin of species, which is the left standard, right? Because there will be a standard that dictates the terms of engagement, 
that dictates our laws, how we all live together. The question will not, will there be a dominant religion or, mor or morality? The question is whose religion and whose morality will be the dominant one that dictates the terms of engagement, the laws, how we get along together. Like, do you understand this? So, so this is the left standard. This is what they're insisting on. I'm trying to tell you the history of that and what flowed out of their dogmatic commitment to their standard, right? To what we must tolerate. And what we tolerated, we accepted. What we accepted, we celebrated. And now we're being required to participate in the culture of death. Guess what? Francis Galton then mentored Havelock Ellis, who was like the Alfred Kinsey of England, y'all a sexologist and sexual weirdo and deviant who hosted orgies in his home, forced his wife into lesbianism, started a raging affair with Margaret Sanger, forced his wife to read his journal entries detailing his sexual encounters with Margaret Sanger, eventually drove his wife insane, wrote over 100 books on every form of sexual experimentation and appetite, experimented with hallucinogens and orgies in his home, Havelock Ellis, okay? We moved really quickly from man as an animal to eugenics to sexual chaos. Why? Because if you're an animal then hump like it if it feels good do it animals don't restrict their sexual urges they just indulge them whenever they have them and if we're animals then i guess everything havelock ellis did was awesome right who becomes the number one political and sexual influence on the life of margaret sanger the patron saint of feminism and the founder of planned parenthood in other words we moved pretty darn fast from the theological claim that there is no god and man is an animal to eugenics, to sexual chaos, and to baby killing, to child sacrifice, because there's no such thing as moral neutrality. And guess what? There are atheists on the left who are very honest about the problems of their own worldview, who have admitted that only Christianity can furnish human rights for all human beings. There are honest atheists, Darwin, Darwinists on the left who admit what I'm trying to tell you, that only Christianity can furnish this idea of human rights for all human beings, that that's the only faith system that can ensure that you can't be murdered by the state <laughs> or sterilized forcibly by the state, like in Virginia with Buck versus Bell in 1924 and the Supreme Court decision in 1927 that upheld Virginia's mandated sterilization law when the Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes said three generations of imbeciles are enough. That, that Christianity and its theory of man being created in the image of God, that's kind of the only thing that can ensure that we have universal human rights in America. What do I mean? Well, Friedrich Nietzsche, yeah, ever heard of Nietzsche? Acknowledged that there is no universal human rights without Christianity. He said, another Christian concept has passed even more deeply into the tissue of modernity. The concept of the equality of souls before God. The concept of the equality of souls before God. He's saying this came from Christianity. He says this concept furnishes the prototype of all theories of equal rights. Christianity's belief in man being created in the image of God, according to the atheist Nietzsche, furnishes the prototype of every theory of equal rights. Wow. Richard Rorty, Richard Rorty, a famous atheist and humanist, admits that their worldview provides no basis for human rights. Richard Rorty actually calls himself a freeloading atheist, freeloading, freeloading atheist, because he is fully aware that he is reaching over to the faith he calls a myth, Christianity, and borrowing the idea of rights and human dignity from the Christian heritage that he maligns. 
The, the idea of universal rights, he says, originated from, quote, religious claims that human beings are made in the image of God. This Jewish and Christian element, listen to this. This is what he, the freeloading atheist Richard Rorty says, this Jewish and Christian element in our tradition is gratefully invoked by freeloading atheists like myself. End quote. Are you freaking kidding me? He says, I gratefully invoke and borrow the idea of universal human rights, which only comes from Christianity and the belief that man and woman are created in the image of God, to, 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 to improve and to systematize the belief of equal rights because I can't offer a philosophical or religious argumentation or justification for the idea of human rights because I reject that we come from a moral lawgiver. So what was the result? What is the, what is the consequence of tolerating bad ideas? Why is atheism so deadly? Did you know that together, Stalin, Mussolini, Hitler, and Margaret Sanger would spill more innocent blood in the 20th century alone than all the murderers, warlords, and tyrants of human history combined? Those four people and their ideology and the consequences of their ideas would spill more innocent blood in the hundred years between 1900 and the year 2000 than all of the murderers, warlords, and tyrants of human history before the year 1900 combined and they say Christian nationalism is the great threat <laughs> to our democracy. Atheism is so deadly because atheism is nothing other than the whisper, ye shall be as gods. This is why Whitaker Chambers, the former Soviet spy and communist, in his book Witness that made Reagan into a conservative, says that communism is nothing more nor less than the whisper of the serpent that man may be as gods. So atheism by definition is satanic, right? Because all human conflict is ultimately theological. So what we call the culture of death that we're kind of being required to participate in now is nothing more nor less than idol worship. When we participate in the pagan, humanist, Darwinist culture of death that's been created because of false religion, because of these bad ideas, when we participate in that, we are participating in idol worship. We are not being faithful to honor and worship God first. And, and what does idol worship do to the idolater? What does idol worship do to the false worshiper, the idolater? It makes them like them. It makes them like the idols. This is straight from the scriptures, by the way. Psalm 115.8 says, those who make idols are like them and thus all, and thus are all who put their trust in them. Those who make idols are like them. You begin to resemble the likeness of the idols you worship. Do you understand now? Do you understand how the cultural revolution works now? If we can build a pagan, humanist, Darwinist, man is an animal and a monkey. If it feels good, do it. Nothing is off the table sexually. There are no moral standards. And we can enshrine that into our colleges, into our universities, into our churches. If we can get pastors to preach this false religion. If we can put this in our, in our courts, if we, if we can punish political dissidents who are Christians who refuse to participate 
baking cakes, photographing their weddings, um, <laughs> being forced to pay for your minor's abortions if they're over 12 in the state of California without parents knowing about it, transing your kids, letting schools hide from parents the gender identity of their children. Do you understand that? Like all this is like forcing you to participate in the culture of death. If we can get people to go along with that, soon they won't know anything but that. It will become the new pagan religion of the society. And they, they say Christians are trying to rebuild a theocracy or a theocracy, right? Like, like where we're going to like murder people who don't confess and become Christians. It's like, Oh, there's a theocracy. We are already living in a theocracy. It's the theocracy of the religion of humanism. The only religion <laughs> tolerated or allowed in DC, in the halls of power. <laughs> Y'all the Bible's the only book that is banned in public schools in America. <laughs> Right? But you can read this book is gay or my name is jazz or books on how to exercise anal sex. Some of the comprehensive sexuality education has anal sex in the abstinence section. And some of these schools don't inform the parents when they begin the sex ed health week. Do you understand this? If we can enshrine this pagan religion into the public square and the people tolerate it, then they'll accept it. And if they accept it, then they'll celebrate what's going on. They'll cheer for it. They'll trans their own children. And then they will participate in the culture of death. There are consequences from bad ideas. We'd like to thank our sponsor of the show, Every Life Diaper Company, Every Life Diaper. I'm going to keep saying this because we need to defund a culture of death. We, we need to fund a culture of life and we need your help to do this. If you're having kids, if you have grandkids, okay? If you want to gift diapers to a friend or a family member who's having kids, if you're at a pregnancy center, and you buy diapers to provide to moms that you're loving on, don't buy them from one of the eight pro-abortion diaper companies. It's ridiculous. The baby industry, for goodness sakes, that profits more when more babies are allowed to be born. <laughs> the baby industry, by and large, rhetorically supports or financially supports the abortion industry. They're helping fund the slaughter of their clientele base. How do you make sense of that? The woke mind virus, humanism, Darwinism, progressivism. It does weird things to the brain. We, as pro-life individuals and Christians, need to fight back with our wallets. Go to everylife.com. Everylife.com. Use promo code Seth10, 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 to get 10% off your first order. Buy diapers from a pro-life diaper company, because guess who is the majority of the customers of the baby industry. It's pro-life conservative Christians who are having babies way more than crazy leftists. So what if we all put our money to pro-life baby industry to defund the culture of death that's funding and profiting off of the slaughter of children? Everylife.com, promo code Seth10, Seth10. Let them know that we sent you and get 10% off your first order. This is why all human conflict is ultimately theological. The, these issues are not new. They're very old. You see, killing babies, for example, to improve your life, <laughs> bolster the economy. Remember when the department, the state department of the state, the state department came out a couple of years ago and said, you know how you can help the economy, right? Get an abortion. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I remember Tucker Carlson was like, that's actually an Aztec principle. <laughs> like, so that's not a new issue. Okay. The, the, you ever heard of uh, the Asherah poles in the Old Testament? It's like the goddess of sex, right? They, they'd worship her through orgies and all this stuff, the Asherah. Well, the Mesopotamian sort of like uh, equivalent of Asherah was Ishtar, 
It's like, they're demons, right? Jonathan Kahn has done great work on this, exposing the history of kind of false gods in, in his book, Harbinger, and then his book, uh, The Return of the Gods. I recommend you read it. It's fascinating. I mean, he's showing how all of this is actually very regressive. We're going back to old demon worship. And Ishtar was believed to be like androgynous, like neither male nor female, actually. And um, it's believed that many of Ishtar's male priests would surgically castrate themselves to appear in the more androgynous form of their goddess. <laughs> Wait a second. So, so people castrated themselves to pretend like they were the other sex. Like, okay. <laughs> ah! So, so uh, Jonathan Kahn found like old ancient inscriptions from Southern Turkey um, when, when these pagan cultures were worshiping Ishtar. Okay. And here's what some of these old ancient inscriptions he found said about their pagan demon worship. It said, may Ishtar impress feminine parts into his male parts. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> wait, what? He found an ancient Sumerian hymn that said, Ishtar will turn a man into a woman and a woman into a man. Okay, okay so transgenderism ain't a new idea either. <laughs> wow. What about all the kooky sex cult, right? Hey, man, maybe a thruple makes a marriage. Sleep around. <laughs> like all this like craziness. They're, you know, they're, they're like they're floating this idea right now that marriage shouldn't be restricted to just two people. Because if it shouldn't be restricted to male-female complementarity, then why should it be constricted to numbers at all? Why not have three? Why not four, right? <laughs> like, y'all, Peter Singer, like we talked about with Bryce Eddy, just came out and said, we got to re-examine the conversation about like sex with animals and bestiality, right? And the sexual rights of animals. What in the world? That's not new either. Like, okay, what's my point? When you rip Christianity out of a civilization, which Richard Rorty and Nietzsche says is the only religion that can furnish this idea of equal rights, right? <laughs> like, like, dignity sanctity we're not animals we have we have value that, that only christianity can do that it's not me saying that it's the atheists who've admitted that what happens when you do that we go right back to demon worship when you rip christianity and its ideals from the public square we go back to demon worship we don't become less religious guess what y'all we become more religious but that religion is not pure and undefiled religion it's like a really kooky weird like demonic ancient religion but but we don't become less religious we can't help but function and act religiously because man is fundamentally a religious being. We come from God. We can't get away from that, okay? So what happens when we go back to demon worship like we're doing in America right now? Because we're being forced to participate, to bow down to the pagan idols that are being brought back in the name of progress. Well, Herbert Schlossberg puts this beautifully, who wrote the book Idols for Destruction. He says that, when a civilization turns idolatrous, its people are profoundly changed by that experience. In a kind of reverse sanctification, the idolater is transformed into the likeness of the object of his worship. Those who worship idols are like them, says Psalm 115, and thus are all who put their trust in them. This is why all human conflict is ultimately theological. So, Let's recap. Okay, let's recap. What happens when a society rejects God's created order, which is what? We're both body and soul. We're image bearers of God. Um, we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not a soul in a body, like, like the trans, right? I am not my body. No, 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 no. You're both body and soul. The theological term for this is hylomorphism. 
hylomorphism. There's a unity between the body and the soul. The Bible talks about this. Like it says like, when I refuse to repent of my sin, my bones wasted away. When I refuse to repent of my sin, that's a metaphysical spiritual act. Can you touch repentance? Can you see repentance? No, it happens in your heart, your soul. It's a, it's a metaphysical act. The Bible says, when I refuse to repent of my sin, a metaphysical act, my bones wasted away, my body ached, a physical act. So the Bible always puts together the soul and the body. We are both body and soul. What happens when, when we say, no, 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 the baby's not a person because they're not self-aware yet. And so um, only, only, self, only conscious, self-aware soul, only the metaphysical person is the real person. So we can kill babies because they're not persons yet. Or, or I'm not Seth, I'm actually Sally because the real person is not biological. Biological realities provide no real clues to our identity. Therefore, uh, 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 me driving my body is like a man driving your Corvette. It's just a vessel that I inhabit for my use. So therefore, well, why not carve off my genitals to make the outside feel more like the inside? Because, because God's wrong. That his created order is wrong. We're not both body and soul. I'm going to liberate myself from the constraints of, of biological realities itself to remake myself in my own image. Do you understand this? Like, what, what about, okay, what about transhumanism, right? Uh, I'm not my body. Why can't, I, why can't I upload my consciousness into the cloud and achieve digital immortality? Every time we reject the natural order, the natural world, how God created it, a lot of consequences follow from that. So let's recap really quickly <laughs> on how there is no such thing as moral neutrality. When you tolerate Darwinistic, humanist, pagan, uh, man is an animal, big bang, materialism, when you tolerate all that, it never is satisfied with mere tolerance. It then demands acceptance. It then demands celebration and participation every single time. Can I get some of that Christian nationalism? Can I get a hit of that Christian nationalism? So with abortion, personhood was redefined. Have you noticed this about the, the pagan, it's pagan religion? It's always to remake ourselves in our own image, right? So, so with abortion, personhood was redefined so that being biologically human is not enough to be a person. That only resulted in the murder of 70 million, 70 million babies. Oh, and since the severely mentally handicapped and cognitively disabled patients lack the same mental control that preborn babies do, they can now be killed too because they're not persons. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Tolerance, deadly thing. Well, what about homosexuality? Well, marriage was redefined so that biological differences and complementarity is no longer the standard. See, do you always see the war against the physical world? the war against biologically natural-based realities. You always see it. It's always to liberate ourselves from physical, biological realities because God made it that way. We can't change that. But if I'm going to be as gods, then, then, I, then I'm going to alter the fabric of the physical universe to make it fit my priorities, my preferences, my identity. I'm going to imprint I'm going to imprint my identity and who I want to be onto the fabric of the physical world and force it into submission. It's an alternative creation story. It's the ultimate rejection of Eden and how God intended things. So with homosexuality, marriage is no longer defined as what? 
Male, female, physical differences, natural complement to one another. No, no, no. No, now marriage was redefined so that biological differences are not the standard. And if marriage is not based on sexual or biological differences, but rather on desires, I desire someone of the same sex and I want to call it marriage, then marriage can no longer secure children's rights to their mother and father. So redefining marriage redefined parenthood. The result of this is that thousands of children are now intentionally being denied their mother or their father, or in some cases, both. If you think I'm a kooky weirdo and a Christian nationalist and the greatest threat to our democracy, let me give you an example right now. Okay, here's how this is working out in the real world. This example I'm about to give you has happened and is happening as we speak in somewhere in America. Let's say two lesbians who are pretending to be married need sperm and egg, right? So they get a sperm from a random donor. By the way, sperm donors don't exist. You're always paid for your sperm. There's no donating it. There's always a financial transaction. They get their sperm from a, from a random, quote, donor, but they don't like the risks entailed with egg retrieval. Did you know, like, getting a woman's eggs can be dangerous? And they're physically fit lesbians, and they don't want to go through the risks of egg retrieval. So they buy an egg from a random female, quote-unquote, donor. They fertilize a baby from the gametes purchased from total strangers, a dude jacking off to make money with his sperm, and another woman who wants to make money because selling your eggs is very profitable. But because these two lesbians love their fitness and their physique— and neither of them wants to subject their body to pregnancy, they pay a surrogate to implant their baby in. So now this baby would be denied their biological mother, which is the woman who provided the egg, their biological father, the dude who jacked off to Playboys to make a quick buck, and their birth mother, the surrogate, and they'd be denied any father at all to be raised by two female lesbians who are total strangers to that baby. Yeah, that's happened, and it is happening throughout third-party reproductive technologies. Why? Why, 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 why? Because we redefine marriage, which redefines parenthood, because now we can't furnish children's rights to their mother and father. Notice how the allegedly simple redefinition of marriage resulted in creating children to intentionally deny them their mother or father and be bought and sold in the multi-billion dollar industry known as big fertility. So as our friend Katie Faust says, we fought a civil war to end the practice of buying and selling people, and we're bringing it back in the name of progress. Have I, have I showed you? Are we recapping well here? The dangers of tolerating bad ideas, and that it never is satisfied with merely tolerance. A lot of consequences flow for the social, political order, and your families and children in the future and the posterity when you started with ju I just, just tolerance. Last example, transgenderism. Gender was redefined. Again, abortion, are you seeing this? Homosexuality, defying the natural order, defying biological realities. What happened with transgenderism? Gender was redefined so that biology was disconnected, right? We hate the physical world from man and woman. And if biology can no longer tell us what men and women are, then only the subjective identity of the individual can tell us what a man and what a woman is. So under the camouflage of, quote, gender identity, the state is destroying women's individual rights and children are being sexually groomed, chemically castrated and surgically mutilated. Why? Because we're defying the natural world. We're recreating ourselves in our own image. We're imprinting our physical we're imprinting our individual metaphysical identity onto the physical world. And when the physical world rejects my inward identity, I'm going to force the physical world into subservience 
to my agenda, to my philosophy, to my religion. It's true with abortion. It's true with homosexuality, with redefining of parenthood, and it's true with transgenderism as well. Do you see it now? Do you see it now? What is the religious longing of all the humanist revolutionaries and architects of our culture of death? To liberate ourselves even from the constraints and bounds of human nature itself. For if they can do that, if they can liberate themselves from the constraints of human nature itself, then there is no end to their political project. What's my point? When you try and define nature itself and sever metaphysical realities from biological, physical realities, moral chaos ensues. The result is that the state, listen to this, when you defy physical human nature itself and redefine it (laughs) in your own image, what happens? The state must now step in and define for society what we used to allow nature to define for us. And if the state can redefine personhood with abortion, marriage with homosexuality, parents with same-sex couples, and gender with transgenderism, it's only a matter of time before they redefine you. It's only a matter of time before they redefine you. They won't define what a baby is. Therefore, they won't protect them. They won't define what a woman is. Therefore, they won't protect them. Pay attention. And this always ends in chaos, death, and destruction. When man subjugates that which is God's, nature itself, (laughs) it's only a matter of time before man will subjugate man. Let me say that again. When man subjugates that which is God's, nature itself, it's only a matter of time before man will subjugate man. C.S. Lewis warned us of this. C.S. Lewis said, for the power of man to make himself what he pleases means, as we have seen, the power of some men to make other men what they please. What we call man's power over nature, is that not the entire secular humanist moral revolution? Man's power over nature. Lewis says, what we call man's power over nature turns out to be a power exercised by some men over other men with nature as its instrument. Holy moly, was C.S. Lewis prophetic. (laughs) What we call man's power over nature turned out to be a power exercised by some men over other men with nature as its instrument to redefine human nature itself. Do you now see that there can be no such thing as neutral ground in the culture wars? If we don't offer our vision of human nature, human identity, and human flourishing, and defend that vision and position in the public square, someone else naturally will. Someone else naturally will. Why does this matter? Because ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. The alternative creation story that the left is seeking to create with abortion, transgenderism, and transhumanism in particular will not stop or rest until they also remake you in their own image. We are now at the point of required participation in the culture of death. Required participation in the culture of death. Because we started with toleration and acceptance. We quickly moved to celebration and finally into participation. Because we didn't realize that we were not dealing with an alternative politics 
we were dealing with an alternative religion. This is the religion of humanism, materialism, Darwinism, <laughs> secular humanism, uh, Klaus Schwabism, uh, Bill Gatesism, Margaret Sangerism, the Sangerization of America, call it whatever you want. These ideas were fundamentally religious in nature because man is fundamentally a religious being. This is why the scriptures say that eternity is written on the heart of man. It's the same every time. From tolerance to acceptance to celebration to participation, the drift is perceptible and palpable, and it's also deadly for our society and for our souls. Moral neutrality is a myth, and it is deadly for your soul. And this will be my final point on today's rambling, long-form, but I think vitally important episode today. Screw tape in the screw tape letters speaking to his junior demon, Wormwood, right? This is C.S. Lewis's prophetic book, The Screwtape Letters, on how spiritual warfare works. Screwtape tells Wormwood, uh, basically, to create spiritual blobs and couch potatoes. He says, as the humans have said, active habits are strengthened by repetition, but passive ones are weakened. The longer he, who's he, the Christian, the longer he feels without acting, the less he will be able ever to act. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel at all. The longer you feel, you feel all the right things, but you don't act, then eventually you won't act at all. And the longer you feel without acting, if we can keep Christians in that position long enough, they eventually won't feel at all. Culture is to us what water is to a fish. They will become numb to that which they tolerate, and the society will decay because good people remained silent. You will then become part of the problem. The evil will no longer lay on evil men who do evil things, but on good men who knew better and were silent. Which is why G.K. Chesterton said, unless a man becomes the enemy of an evil, an enemy of evil, he will not even become its slave, but rather its champion. You will turn into a champion of the very evil that you've been tolerating for so long. When you tolerate sin, bad ideologies, pagan religions, and you give it quarter, it erodes everything until your entire society is lost and future generations suffer the most for your cowardice and your sleepy Christianity. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, to quote him once again, said, in keeping silent about evil and burying it so deep within us that no sign of it appeared on the surface, we were implanting it. We were implanting it. So it would rise up a thousandfold in the future. The evil that you implant and hide and try to, try, to, try to brush under the covers doesn't go away. You're just ensuring it will rise up significantly greater and more of a threat in the future. This is a biblical concept, by the way. Do you remember the kings of Israel in First and Second Kings? Throughout 1st and 2nd Kings, we read about these kings that the Bible says did what was right in the sight of the Lord. They did what was right in the sight of the Lord over and over and over again. Remember, it says in 1st and 2nd Kings that the good kings who did what was right in the sight of the Lord did not remove or tear down the high places. Now, remember, the high places were the places that all the temples to false gods were erected. They gave quarter to idolatry and false religion. In short, they tolerated it. 
As my friend Dr. George Grant says, Dr. George Grant, the uh, worldwide expert on the life of Margaret Sanger um, and the history of Planned Parenthood, Pastor and Dr. George Grant explains what I've been trying to tell you for the last hour, that when you tolerate, you will accept, you will celebrate, you will participate every single time. And this was happening with the Israelites through false religion and pagan idolatry in First and Second Kings. Here's what we learn about the good kings who did what was right, but they tolerated bad ideas. They tolerated false religion, and it eventually eroded their whole society. We read of Asa, who was a good king and ruled over the kingdom of Judah for 41 years. It says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the steps of David, his father. He instituted crucial reforms, including the removal of male cult prostitutes and the destruction of Asherah images. But despite all the good that Asa did, he is remembered most for what he did not do. His final epitaph was simply that he had failed to remove the high places. He was good, he was moral, but he did not go far enough. Asa's son Jehoshaphat was a good king. He reigned in Jerusalem for 25 years, and it says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. (laughs) He instituted important reforms, but like his father, he did not go far enough. So his final epitaph says the high places were not taken away and people still sacrificed there. Similarly, Jehoash was a good and moral king. He reigned in Jerusalem for 42 years, and it says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but he didn't go far enough. And Jehoash's final epitaph is that the high places were not taken away. Amaziah was another good and moral king for 29 years in Jerusalem. And he, quote, did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But his final epitaph is the high places were not taken away. He simply did not go far enough. Azariah, son of Amaziah, reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. Like his father, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And yet he too is remembered for the epitaph, the high places were not taken away. The place of pagan worship, false idolatry, child sacrifice, sex cults. Lastly, Jotham was another good king of Judah. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. But his final epitaph is the high places were not taken away. You'll recall after years of tolerating, accepting, And participating in sexual idolatry and child sacrifice, Jerusalem is captured, sacked, and pilfered by Nebuchadnezzar and his captain of the bodyguard, Nebuchadnezzar, who with the Chaldeans utterly destroyed the house of the Lord and all of Jerusalem. And so the Babylonian captivity began. Each of the kings failed to serve their society as prophets, priests, guiding and guarding the land. In other words, it was the silent tolerance of God's good kings that brought about the eventual destruction of Jerusalem. First and second Kings is clear. You can be a good king who even does what's right in the eyes of the Lord. But if you refuse to deal with the false religion, wrecking havoc on families, children, and babies in your midst, and you tolerate such evil and wickedness, you will be remembered not for your good works, but for the evil that you gave free reign to. Knowing why and how the culture of death is wrong, flawed, and evil is not enough. God does not call his people to mere orthodoxy, but to orthodoxy a praxy to practice and live out pure and undefiled religion. And that indeed is the greatest adventure at all to do the good deeds that God prepared in advance that he might walk in them. 
I don't know what your eschatology is, and I don't really care. I don't know if you're trying to usher in the kingdom as a post-millennialist or you're waiting to be raptured away like a premillennialist. All I know is that we need to be found faithful, and this culture of death is our fault for tolerating, and it never stopped with tolerance. If I haven't made that case yet or you're not clear on that yet, you weren't listening. So as R.J. Rush Dooney said, the, mo- the father of the modern homeschool movement, <laughs> he said, dominion does not disappear when a man renounces it. It is simply transferred to another party, perhaps to his wife, children, employer, or the state. Where the individual surrenders his due dominion, where the family abdicates it, and the worker and employer reduce it. There, another party, usually the state, concentrates that dominion that was abdicated. <laughs> when organized society surrenders power, the mob, the mob gains it, gains that power, proportionate to the surrender, proportionate to the surrender, meaning the degree and amount to which you abdicate and surrender power, influence, dominion, is the same degree to which that territory and influence will be taken by the humanists, the Darwinists, <laughs> the kill the baby sexual revolutionaries who have only created this sick culture because we abdicated, we tolerated, we thought we were maybe being loving and kind, but refusing to speak truth against lies is not loving. In fact, that's very mean. It's very hateful to give a lie quarter or refuse to speak the truth. The loving thing is to speak the truth and leave the results to God. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.